Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Life is full of events and incidents that come at us from left field. Sometimes our lives can be defined by those unexpected events. Where do we turn? On what or whom do we lean? If we are capable and confident people, we may well try to press on relying on our own resources. Hmm. Let me ask you, where is your confidence? It's the question Dr Corbett also asks tonight. Let's join him now. And this is taken from verse 13. Where is your confidence? And it's dealing with Moab. Moab was a neighbouring country to Israel. And we've seen that for some extraordinary reason, and we'll make this point in a moment, that although God had chosen Israel to be special people, that for some reason he took great delight in Moab. And we've seen that the origins of Moab were less than ideal. Moab started as a a people with the very unfortunate circumstances of, how do we put this politely, but you can read about it in Genesis, where Lot and his wife had fled Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says that Lot's wife looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. And, and Lot's daughters, when they fled with their, their father into the, the surrounding hills, realised all the men that they'd ever known were now dead. How on earth were they ever going to have children? And so they got their father drunk and agreed that they would each sleep with their father. Not the greatest way to conceive, not even a good way to conceive. And the result was that Moab, that's the man's name, the boy, the baby boy was named Moab. And what's interesting is that in this less than ideal start to life, God took, showed favour to Moab because, as we've made this point, no child is ever a mistake. And so God showed Moab favour. And we've seen that when Israel wanted, when they came out of Egypt and and to come into their land, it it would have been a whole lot easier if if, if they'd been allowed just to go through Moab and come into the promised land. But God said, don't set one foot in Moab unless you get their permission. And Moab said, no. And so God said, no is no, go the long way. And so they had to go the long way. And Moab had the unique distinction of being a Middle Eastern country that had never been invaded, never been conquered, never been dispossessed from its land. Extraordinary. Added to this, our suspicion is that although God had chosen Israel, he greatly loved Moab. And this is extraordinary because Moab did not love him. Moab set up a national god called Chemosh, C-H-E-M-O-S-H, Chemosh. And they said this was their god. And I can only imagine what that did to the heart of God after all the favour he'd shown them, but this is how they returned the favour of God, by despising God's kindness to them. So God still showed them favour. In fact, The land of Moab, it's in a really unlikely 
place, and we'll see in a moment that there was a major river running through there, and it kept the land of Moab well watered and extremely fertile, which in the Middle East would have to be a bonus, you would think. And despite their abundant prosperity and despite their incredible security that they enjoyed, they still didn't realise who the source of all this blessing was. And they continued to worship Chemosh. And God still, despite that, showed them favour. And the highest favour, because this is a, a mystery to me, why Israel was told have nothing to do with the surrounding nations. Have nothing to do with them. They worship foreign gods. I don't want you to do that. They practice all kinds of wickedness, like burning their children in fire. Not that Moab is accused of that. But they practice all these horrible things that hurt people. I mean, literally hurt people. And God said to his people, Israel, don't be like the surrounding nations. I want you to be different. And so there were a lot of things that God put into the culture of Israel simply to make them different. They were to wear different clothes. They were to, they were to do different things with their hair. They, the men weren't supposed to cut the hair near their, their temples, even though, you know, whatever style, the men had to do this because they were required to look different to remind them that they were supposed to be different. And yet, we read in the Old Testament that a famine came on the land just before Israel appointed its first king. And we read that there was a family from Israel that left Israel and went to the lush, fertile land of Moab. Because this family, we're told, who left with two sons, who went there and married two Moabite women, and so we're now left with... Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi says, I think, I think I need to return to Israel. And she says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, you don't have to come. You can stay in Moab. You're a Moabite after all. And Ruth says this amazing thing, I will follow you and your God will be my God. Hmm, interesting. There's Ruth, a Moabite who gets it. And she comes back with Ruth to the land of Judah near a little town called Bethlehem. And she meets someone who, under Hebrew culture, has an obligation to, pro to provide for Ruth. That means take her as his wife. And his name was Boaz. And it's a beautiful love story, and you read about it in the book of Ruth. But here's Ruth, who's then married by Boaz, an older man who'd never been married, and quite possibly thought he may never be married. And he marries Ruth. And he can't believe it. She's a beautiful woman. And they have a child. And if we were doing a Bible trivia contest, I'd ask you the name of the child, but we'll cut to the chase. Obed. And Obed eventually becomes the 
the ancestor of Jesse. And Jesse becomes the father of, someone tell me, David, King David. And King David is in the lineage of someone else, Jesus Christ. God's favour toward Moab is embedded in the DNA, the human DNA of his own son. He loved Moab. And I think that's important for us to understand. We are in Jeremiah chapter 48, and we're going to look at a couple of verses because this is Jeremiah giving a prophecy to Moab. Now, the interesting thing here is that while Israel, for God was supposed to be in their foreground, as I mentioned, they, 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 weren't, they weren't allowed to cut, the men weren't allowed to cut their hair, the women weren't allowed to wear excessive makeup or excessive jewelry. So the, the women were to look different, the men were to look different, they were to be different. And God was to always be in the centre of their lives, the foreground of their lives, where Jerusalem is built. It's built, Jerusalem is kind of a, the old Jerusalem is kind of a strange place. It kind of, it, it starts off and it just goes up. And, and the temple is right at the top called Mount Zion. And it's there. And so Jerusalem's kind of this tiered thing that goes up. So you read in the Psalms that it says, let us go up to the house of God. You would literally go up the city. And you'd go up to, up to the top of Jerusalem where the temple would be. So no matter where you were in Jerusalem, you would be constantly reminded God dwells in this city. So God was to be in the foreground. That was supposed to be an example to the nations of this is how you treat God. Have him the centre and have him in the foreground. Moab didn't do that. And this is why I find it amazing that God continued to show them tremendous kindness and tremendous favour. Because for Moab, God was well and truly in their background. He was probably so far in their background that they didn't acknowledge him at all. And yet we've just seen the, the tremendous kindness of God toward them. And as I think about this, I think... We as Christians today, we're called to be different. The way we speak, the way we act, the way we treat people. And I've heard of many people being utterly surprised when they meet a real Christian. Because the real Christian is someone who treats people with kindness. And this is surprising in a world where it's dog-eat-dog. You're not called to be religious, but you are called to be in relationship with God. And I think there's a huge difference. So we're looking from verse 12 of Jeremiah chapter 48. Most of these are on the screen. And it says this, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall send to him, him is Moab. And we've just seen in the last couple of verses, just a little bit of a recap, that God says of Moab, you're like wine that has evaporated so much that all that's left in the bottle is the thick paste of the stuff that won't evaporate. That... that that thick paste is potent. It smells like strong wine. And there it is. It's called the dregs. And you think, because even if you held that bottle upside down, it's like honey. It's just not going to come out really quick. You think you're that secure. You think nothing can get, nothing, as nothing can get dregs out of the bottle, nothing will ever happen to remove you from your land. So it's a, a word picture called a metaphor. 
And here God says, I shall send to him pourers who will pour him and empty his vessels and break his jars in pieces. It's a word picture saying to Moab, I've come to you with kindness. I've come to you and done you good. Not just one year, not just two years, but for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. And yet you refuse to acknowledge me. Not only do you not acknowledge me, you insult me. And you do me harm. And we, we see that part of the accusation here is that Jeremiah said that Moab had actually, as the Babylonians came in and were attacking Israel, the Moabites joined in and began killing God's people. And God was a bit upset with this, especially after the kindness that he told Israel to show Moab. And so now the word picture is, you think you, think you can't be removed from your bottle? I'm going to send pourers in. People who know how to pour dregs out. Not only will they pour you out, they're going to break the jars. Wow. It's pretty dramatic language. Verse 13. Then Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh. And this reveals the heart of God, why he's going to do it. Because the people of Moab had said, the reason we have a huge flowing river and a very fertile land, the reason we've never been conquered, the reason why we have the strongest army in the world... Is because of our God, Chemosh. It's Chemosh who's done all this for us. Can you imagine the heart of God? How he feels hearing Moabites worship a non-existent, made-up God. And God says, okay, I'm going, to re- I'm going to remove my blessing from you. I'm going to remove my protection from you. I'm just going to remove it. And let's see what your Chemosh can do. As the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel or Bethel, their confidence. Hence, where is your confidence? And Moab's confidence was in a false idea, a false God. They were trusting in something. And you know, we are created to trust. The moment you woke up this morning, you trusted you trusted that if you, like I do, I live on the second, I have a two-story house, and I trusted that the moment I got out of my bed and put my foot on the floor, that floor was going to hold me, and, and it did. So we, everything we do throughout our day is trust. So we, we use trust all the time. We're created to trust. The issue is, who do we ultimately trust in? And... God refers to Israel trusting Bethel, and we'll talk about this in a moment. But here's what we know. God is saying, your pride has blinded you. Your pride has been a a false confidence. It's led to you trusting in the wrong things. And so if anyone wants to know and walk with God, it can only begin with humility. It can only begin with humility. This is a really important point. I mean, it's crazy important how important this is. If you want to know God, and I do, it requires humility. Not an arrogance, but humility. And even though God showed Moab his favour, they never invited him into their foreground. We have one example, Ruth. And for the most part, we have no other examples for the most part. This is tragic. 
And perhaps one of the reasons this happened is that they confused the blessing of God, God's favour. They became convinced that God wasn't the cause at all. Jesus actually said, God causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes rain to fall on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So, so God's the, the source of all good. And James says this as well. All good things come from God in heaven for all people. Even if you shake your fist at him, he's still going to be good. This is amazing. Jesus said it like this about humility and approaching God. Luke 14, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So if you really want to know God, it requires humility. And what does humility look like? It at least looks like the discovery that John Newton came to. When John Newton, that slave trader came to the realisation that although he was English and lived in England and lived in a very proper society and although he was involved in a very reputable enterprise, slave trade, although he did all that, he was actually an utter wretch. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch, utterly Depraved, rotten to the core. It takes humility to admit that. And without that kind of humility, you can never move past the first obstacle to coming to know God. And Moab was stumbling over this first obstacle. But God actually says, Moab, you've done exactly what my people Israel had done at Bethel. Now you would be forgiven for wondering, what did Israel do at Bethel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because it was after the civil war of Israel, when the northern tribes and the southern tribes became enemies, that the northern tribes said, hang on a minute, the temple is in the south. We don't have a temple now. And Jeroboam, the first king of the north, said this, I know what to do. I'll set up an object of worship in one of the places where we know God has been. And that's Bethel, because Bethel means... Someone know? House of God. Whenever you see El, like Israel or Beth, El, El is God. Beth means house. Beth, Lehem, means house of bread. Jesus is the bread come down from heaven. He comes from the house of bread. Interesting, isn't it? So here we have Jeroboam in Bethel setting up a golden calf. For Israel to worship. And, and Israel, the, which is what the northern tribes became known as. They became known as Israel. The southern tribes became known as Judah. And the expression Jew is a nickname given to the people of the southern tribes, by the way. So here we have Israel confusing the will of God for their own will. Because Jeroboam said, well, we're created to worship. We've got to worship something. And I'm sure God wouldn't mind if we worshipped a golden calf. I mean, how upset could he get? Well, apparently he was about to find out. Now, Israel had confused this thing. And you hear this kind of talk all the time today. As long as we're religious, 
I'm sure that's what God wants. As long as, we're, as long as we look spiritual and look religious, surely that's all God wants. This is exactly what Israel had done, and it was wrong. It was confused. They confused true spirituality, which is a relationship with God, based on a heart that says, God, have your way in my life. I want to know you. I want, I want times in my life when I can just stop and pause and reflect on you and just make sure that you and I are okay. That's called worship. It's what we've been doing this morning. And if you come in and you're distracted and you're Facebooking and tweeting and LinkedIning and, and, and whatever else you're doing, then, then it's, it's going to be difficult for you to worship. Because worship is just stop and just check in with God and surrender to him. That's true spirituality when you worship. And you're created to do that. You're created to worship. And yet there are some people that would rather do ceremonies and rituals and things like that and think that's worship. And especially when you do it to things rather than God. That's confusing true spirituality for religion. You, you, there are so many people who shake a fist at God. They defy God. They say whatever to God. And the moment you take God on is the moment you've sealed your own fate because you will lose. And the Bible says there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every knee will bow willingly. <laughs> I worship you, God. Or every knee will be forced to bow, swallow their pride and acknowledge it. I'd rather do it in this life. And acknowledge that God is Lord. Verse 16. The calamity of Moab is near at hand and his affliction hastens swiftly. This is, see, this expression, it's near. See, Moab was, was scoffing at this. And many commentators believe Jeremiah actually gave this prophecy very, very early on in his, in his prophetic ministry. And now he's retelling it. In other words, I think he gave this maybe 20 or 30 years prior to this date. And now he's repeating it. Because for 20 or 30 years, when you say something's about to happen and it doesn't happen, you scoff. So now he's repeating it. It's near. And for the Moabites, it was. It was a matter of weeks or months. When Babylon would come in, just as they'd come into Judah, and he, Babylon would destroy them. And some of the other surrounding nations. And yet Moab were going, it'll never happen. <laughs> we're so secure. We're the strongest army in the world. Nothing could ever trump us. And that's meant to be a pun to those who claim today to have the strongest army in the world. And yet it says it's near. And this, is, this makes me think, so much in life turns on something you didn't expect. So much in life turns on what, a, what we might call, uh, and novelists do this, and suddenly. The suddenlies of life. Life is often defined by the suddenlies. And suddenly, something happened. Life can have suddenlies. And while Moab was resting secure, 
God said, it's going to happen suddenly. And this is what I know. That if God is your anchor, the anchor of your soul, there is not a suddenly in the world that can shake you from the confidence that he'll get you through whatever you face. But if God's not your anchor, you've got problems. Hebrews 6.19 says this. In fact, the word confidence occurs in the book of Hebrews more than any other New Testament book. And it's not a confidence like some people say, look in the mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful. It's not that kind of confidence. It's the kind of confidence that says, I've been given permission by God himself to come to him anytime. I've been given permission to come right into his throne room in prayer and talk to him face to face in prayer anytime he's given me that permission. And you have the confidence that he means it. You have the confidence that you can and you have the confidence to do it. And Hebrews says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It is our confidence that we can approach God like this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace where God is seated and enthroned, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Hebrews 10.25, I've just pulled out three references here relating to the kind of confidence that we should have. Because Moab had a false confidence, a wrong confidence, but we're meant to have a right confidence. And Hebrews says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It's not that arrogant, oh yeah, I'm really awesome confidence. That's self-deceit. It's the confidence that says, the God who created the universe, who loves me so much, even though I deserve to die for eternity for my sins. He sent his son to die in my place. His son took my rap sheet and went not just to prison, but he went to the execution's cross and took my place. And I have confidence now that because he rose from the dead, he's given me his credentials and I can come into heaven for eternity. Oh, God, thank you. That's the confidence not that you're it and a bit. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And the Apostle John put it this way, and this is just magnificent, because it brings into all of these aspects of biblical confidence that there will be a day when we will stand before God. And it won't be a matter of what you've done. It's a matter of who you trust on that day. Because Christianity is not spelt D-O. Christianity is spelt, someone help me, D-O-N-E. All being done by Christ. And your confidence is simply, I believe it. I believe Jesus has done it. And if you believe it, the biblical definition of belief is not just up here. The biblical definition of belief is, I can't see a path for my feet, but I'm walking and I take the step. It's like Indiana Jones and the episode 12, where, you remember, he had the clue, it's a step of faith, and he has to walk across the chasm, and he can't see what's there. And so he grabs a bit of dust and he puts it, and there's, a, there's an invisible bridge. And he walks across. That's what belief means. You, take the, you put your action into what you claim to believe. If you really say, I trust Jesus that he's done it all for me on the cross, then you put it into action and it begins like this. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. That's where it starts. And this is love perfected 
with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. So it's not that on the day of judgment, God will look at you and judge you for your rap sheet. Your rap sheet, Jesus has taken it. And when God says, what do you have to say for yourself? Nothing. He's going to say it all. Jesus, take away. That's our confidence. Jeremiah 48, down to verse 18. Come down from your glory and sit on the parched ground, O inhabitant of Dibon, where the river was. The Dibon River. This fertile, lush, well-watered ground is now called what? Parched. For the destroyer of Moab has come up against you. He has destroyed your strongholds. You see, Moab's confidence was in the wrong things. Is yours? Where's your confidence? When our confidence is misplaced, we end up paying a huge price. Huge. You get the eternal destiny of your soul wrong You pay a price in this life and the life to come. The price is immense. It's worth getting right. Where is your confidence? Our world is shaken on what or whom do we lean. When our confidence is misplaced, we end up paying a huge cost. Where is your confidence? More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Where Is Your Confidence?, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of IC. Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.